good deeds. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Oh God, as we continue to reflect on what it means to be a loving community of faith, and as we engage with this challenge from you, we pray for insight and understanding on what kind of relationship you're calling us into with you and with each other. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, here in January at Avon Hope, we spend time reflecting on our purpose, our mission, our values, our strategy. And in fact, in next Sabbath, we are sending our volunteer leaders team off into the mountains to spend a weekend specifically working through uh, some of the answers to those questions. Why are we here? What is our purpose? What are we doing? But we want the whole community to be involved in this conversation, and that's why we dedicate January of each year to reflecting and, and, and dialoguing on this. In fact, if you were here last week, you got the opportunity to turn to the person next to you or group next to you and actually dialogue over some questions. We want to hear your responses to those questions, not only in the small groups like we did last week, but uh, we'd like to be able to process them. And so uh, we would love to have you go and take a very short survey uh, online, and uh, you can see the information up on the screen how to do that. You text in 555-888, the number 555-888, age 2019, and then just three questions. We want to hear, we want to dialogue, we want to hear back from you, and we're anxious to continue to reflecting on what God is calling us to do here in this great city and in this uh, neighborhood. And so uh, we turn our attention to the, the church of the first century. And so our text last week, our text of emphasis last week, was found in Acts chapter 2, and it said this about the newborn church. This is the church immediately after Jesus left. It says, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. So that was the church of the time immediately after uh, Jesus uh, left. And so today's text of emphasis is found in the book of Hebrews, and it was actually written probably about 30 years uh, after the uh, events of Acts chapter uh, 2. And so uh, things have changed. We see Paul now who's writing to this uh, church, and he says, don't give up meeting together as some of you are in the habit of doing. And so there's a 30-year gap roughly between the events of Acts chapter 2 and the writing of Hebrews that we just read. So apparently, as the church grew and time went on, some uh, believers decided that meeting together was unnecessary. Um, Maybe they faced conflict within the community of faith that they had been a part of or their their local uh, gathering. Uh, Maybe the gatherings were too far for them to travel to. Uh, Maybe they didn't like the, the, the worship style, maybe the cave or home, as we know that they surely met in, the cave or home that where they were meeting didn't live up to their aesthetic expectations. Uh, maybe the 
the service itself wasn't good or the preaching wasn't uh, good. Uh, maybe they like to watch the sermons of the superstar preachers, Peter and Paul on YouTube. Peter and Paul on YouTube. Yeah. Um, either way, there was apparently an issue in which Paul was calling out now that people were giving up meeting together. Don't stop meeting together, uh, he, he told this group 30 years after the newborn uh, church. Now, I, I, as we kind of reflect on this and this idea that uh, Paul very concerned that people keep meeting together, you know, we realize that today it's even more easy to not meet together as a community. This issue of stop stopping meeting together is one that's incredibly relevant to us today. I mean, it is very easy to get our spiritual deliciousness without actually coming together with other uh, people. We do have a YouTube, and you will find, you know, the best of the best worship gatherings, the best of the best music. You will find the best sermons you will ever hear uh, online. You can listen to them. You can enjoy them in your own pajamas, in your, your bed, and you can pretty quickly give up on uh, meeting together because it's so tasty to take part in all of those uh, delicious and uh, literally the best of the best. You will get the best of the best today by going to uh, YouTube. And so this issue of not meeting together has particular relevance for us today. There's a temptation to only engage in spiritual things on our own terms, in our own places, and by our uh, self. And so, you know, I think we, we maybe have all been, uh, uh, been challenged with this. And so, again, Paul is speaking not only to those in the Hebrew church, but he's speaking to us today. Paul calling us into uh, community. In fact, if you go back just a few chapters in Hebrews to chapter uh, 3, he makes this even more clear. He says, see to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you, as of, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Now, what Paul is doing here is he's reminding the church of, again, that, that Acts chapter 2 church, the church 30 years before, which we're told in Acts chapter 2, met together in the temple courts every single day. In fact, in Acts 2.42, we read that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer, and they met together every day. So 30 years have gone by, and Paul's like, remember the newborn church? They met together every day, and every day we need to be gathering together to encourage each other. And so, clearly, this, this issue of not be meeting together, not coming together, was an important enough one that Paul really wanted to emphasize it over and over and over again. And so we have to ask ourselves, why does Paul think that community is so important? Why being with other people, why is that such an important thing? I mean, isn't spirituality an individual thing? Isn't it something that happens internally in us, between us and, and God? Why do other people have to get involved in our spiritual journey? Why is Paul so consumed with this idea of being together with other people? Well, he kind of answers this in his response. In community, we have the opportunity to encourage each other. In fact, he says to spur each other along. It's like, a, like a, you're riding a horse and you have... You spur along the horse by giving it a little jolt. The idea is that we spur each other along. We encourage each other toward love 
and good works. The, the implication is that there's something about coming together with other people that you cannot get or you will not get on your own. There's something important about coming together, being together with other people, that you bring encouragement for other people, they may bring encouragement uh, to you, and you together spur each other on toward love and good works. Community is important. Now we know uh, also that community is beyond the importance of just spiritual growth, that com uh, community is good for our health. I mean, there's a lot of reasons that community is important. Um, this is the abstract of an article from the Journal of Healthy Social Behavior. Captors use social, social isolation to torture prisoners of war to drastic effect. Social isolation of otherwise healthy, well-functioning individuals eventually results in psychological and physical disintegration and even death. Over the, over the past few decades, social scientists have gone beyond the evidence of extreme social deprivation, deprivation to demonstrate a clear link between social relationships and health in the general population. Adults who are more socially connected are healthier and live longer than their more isolated peers. See, not only was Paul concerned about the encouragement that comes, the spiritual encouragement or whatever that comes from being together, he recognized that there is a health implication for being together, existing together in a community, something that sociologists have recognized too. There's something about coming together and existing in a community that's incredibly, incredibly important. So, so no wonder Paul emphasizes this over and over and over again. Of course, even Jesus said in Matthew 18, where two or three are gathered, where there is community, I am in the midst. God, Jesus, Paul, all calling us to exist in community. The idea of the isolationist uh, follower of Jesus, the isolationist Christian just doesn't work. In fact, it's just not good for us. And so here at, at Avon Hope, in the Avon Hope community, you know, we were wrestling with this, and we've talked about this again every January for the last few years. We came up several years ago with our uh, purpose. You know, what is, what is Avon Hope going to be ex about? Why do we exist? And so we uh, articulated in this fashion that we, Avon Hope, lists, exist to live in loving, worshipful relationship with God and in loving community with each other, empowered by the Holy Spirit to participate in God's reconciling and restorative work through Jesus of healing broken relationships between God and all people and between all members of the human family. That was our articulation of why we exist, and it's rooted in this idea that we exist for community, that God has existed in community himself for all eternity. Father, Son, Spirit. God has never been alone. God has always existed in the, the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit. And then God created creatures, human beings, to, to, to live in community with him. Just like a parent, parents would come together and decide they're going to have children, that God, and he even uses the imagery of a parent by calling himself Father, that fa the, the God loves to live in community. He's always lived in community, Father, Son, and Spirit, and creates more community. This is just part of who God is. And so we as a church, if we're going to call ourselves a church, we are designed to live in community. It is why Advent Hope exists, to live in loving, worshipful relationship with God. But that's not it. It's not just to live in loving, worshipful relationship with God. It's to live in loving relationship with each other as well. You can't just have the relationship with God. You have to have the relationship with God and 
with each other. So Paul says, don't stop gathering together. It's essential. It's important. But the challenge is that developing healthy community has become incredibly difficult. It's become incredibly uh, difficult. I think in particular in our Western individualistic society where the idea is that you go out on your own and you make your, your way. You make it on your own. It's become very difficult for us to have and live in healthy uh, community. This leads to the question, why is this the case? What is it that makes living in community and, and having community so difficult? I mean, this is a, an essential question for a church, a, a church like ours that says we exist, we are here because of community, but why is living in community so difficult? We've got to be able to answer that uh, question. You know, by the way, I should mention some of you have already uh, filled out the survey, and we're really thankful for that. You gave a lot of good feedback. We've gotten a lot of great feedback. We're going to share that together with our leadership team at the retreat. Maybe we'll find a way to share some of those anonymous responses even here amongst you. Some good, a lot of, lot of positive things, a lot of good things, but there are also some things that we need to be working on. No question, this community is not where it needs to be. There are things that we can work on and, and grow. And so answering this, this question, how do you live as a healthy community, is essential for us really living up to our purpose, to, to to be in community with God and with each other. Now, I think trying to rec reconcile, try to answer this question, why is it difficult to live in community, has a lot of answers, but I've chosen three to share with you, and we can kind of continue the dialogue here today. So the first response to this question, why is it so difficult for us to live in healthy community, is related to what I would call the temptation of the inner ring. The temptation of the inner ring. So in 1944, C.S. Lewis, the famed uh, Christian apologist and, uh, and author, had a lecture at King's College at the University of London. And he talked about what he titled the inner ring. Uh, and so let me, let me quote here from uh, Lewis. He says, I'm not going to say to you that the existence of inner rings is an evil. It is certainly unavoidable. Now, his definition of inner rings are these uh, circles, social circles, in which we uh, find ourselves being presented with. So let's say this. Let's say you go to work, you're new on the, the job, and you go in your first day or second day or first week or second week, and you start to recognize that there is a hierarchy in the office. Maybe there's the CEO, CFO, what they have their offices, right? But, and, and that's very clearly defined, who, who is who in the office hierarchy. But then there's also a group of people who just, you pick up on, on their dialogue and their interaction with each other who are kind of in the know. They know what's going on. They've been around for a while. They, they talk amongst themselves. And so as you recognize this, you think of this, there's an inner ring. There's people who know what's going on. And the, the, the desire is to be in with that inner ring. I mean, the other classic example is the cool kids. You know, back in high school, there were like the cool kids table at lunch, and you're the new student, and you're like, they, they've got something going on. And the desire is because we as humans are designed to 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 want to be included in things, is to want to be a part of that, right? So this is what uh, Lewis calls the the inner ring. 
And uh, so he says, I'm not going to say that the existence of, this is Lewis now, I'm not going to say that the existence of inner rings is an evil. It is certainly unavoidable. There must be confidential discussions. And it is not only a bad thing, it is in itself a good thing that personal friendships should grow between those who work together. It is necessary, but the desire which draws us into inner rings is another matter. So Lewis is saying uh, friend groups are going to exist. Work groups are going to exist that have to talk amongst themselves and maybe have some uh, confidentiality or, or, or groups, again, of friends that just happen to connect with each other. They're going to uh, exist. It's just a reality. It's neither bad or good. Actually, he says that there's, there's good to that. You want to see friends growing, people uh, dialoguing and getting to know each other and having conversations that they maybe only would have with each other. There's nothing wrong with that. But the desire to always be looking to get into those groups can lead to challenges. The, 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 the desire to always be in, to have the fear of, of missing out, FOMO on what's this group, and always looking, imagining that you'll be more satisfied if you're in a little bit further, a little bit deeper, or more connected with that group. If I'm only in with the cool kids, and then you get in with the cool kids, and you realize they're all screwed up, and then, but there's another even cooler group, and so that, well, if we just get connected with that group, and then you get into that group, and it's just endless. This desire to, to find connection at the next thing, always. This is the temptation of the inner ring. There's always something more not being satisfied with where we are, but always looking to try to get into the next group. Okay, so then Lewis says this. Uh, the quest of the inner ring will break your heart unless you break it. But if you break it, a surprising result will follow. If in your working hours, he's talking in the context here of, of, of your work situation. If in your working hours, you make the work your end, you will, you will presently find yourself all unawares inside the only circle in your profession that really matters. You will be one of the sound craftsmen. The other sound craftsmen will know it. This group of craftsmen will by no means coincide with the inner ring or the important people or the people in the know. So he's saying, look, if you focus on what really matters, if you're at your job and you focus on just doing good work in your job and quit worrying about whether you're in the circle that's there and always trying to get in the next circle, just focus on doing a good uh, work, you're going to actually find yourself in a circle in which you should be in anyway, a natural circle, and if you're okay with that, you're not going to always have the desire that you're missing out on something else, and you're going to be established in a community, the community that fits for who you are and where you are in, you, in your being. And so quit always seeking the temptation if, if I was only in that group. And so this temptation of always trying to be in another group that you're not in is very dissatisfying. In fact, he says it'll break your heart if you're always doing this. And so this is a problem when we're talking about trying to build healthy community. If we're always looking at being in a different place than we already are, you're always going to be unsatisfied and it's going to be very hard for you to live in healthy community and quite frankly for a healthy community to be in health, healthy community. If I'm always thinking, boy I, boy, I really like my friend group now, but if I was only in with that friend group, then everything's going to be great. You know, I mean, if you think about that, how that works in a, in a marriage, right? I mean, that doesn't work in any relationship, but if you're in a marriage and you're all like, my, my uh, spouse is fabulous, but that spouse is amazing, 
Um, that's not going to work, right? Very, very similar thing. The temptation of the inner ring. If I was only in, in another group. And so look, this is real for us here at Avon Hope. There are, there are friend groups. Now, I, I, would, I would just call out here, you know, um, cliques, exclusive groups that don't want to have anything to do with anybody else, this is a problem. It should certainly not exist in a church, a group that is exclusive and doesn't want anybody else involved or, you know, only, only hangs out together with people that just like them, problem. But the idea that you're going to have friends who've connected or maybe you've known each other for a long time and, uh, uh, and uh, spend time together, it's, Lewis says it's going to happen. It's, it's, it's kind of natural. In fact, it's good that people would get connected uh, with each other. And so that's fine. The problem is if you're always looking at trying to get into another group or you're upset, uh, you came and you've got some friends, but you're like, man, I wish I was over with this, this group or I wish I was with the cool kids here. You're always going to be dissatisfied. And so this is true at work. It's true in your church community. And so, so Lewis says, look, Focus on being the person that you are, and you'll find yourself surrounded by other people who are going to support you and bring encouragement to you, and in that, you'll build community. So again, we want to be a church that's embracing everybody, but the reality is you're going to have friend groups that are going to connect with each other, and not everybody is going to be able to connect with each other, and so embrace where you are now and allow that community group to, to, to build, and let's all be more inclusive of everyone, but recognize there are people who are going to connect. And so this is one of the challenges that we wrestle with here as we're trying to build a healthy community in Avon Hope. Okay, so the temptation of the inner ring, that's, that's one challenge. The second challenge is not recognizing our social limitations. So we're trying to answer the question, why is it so hard to build healthy a community? We don't recognize our social limitations. How many friends can you have? How many friends can you have? You think about that in your mind, and then I'm going to shoot this. Have you ever heard of the Dunbar number? The Dunbar number? Some of you, especially if any sociologists here, you know the Dunbar number. So uh, Dun Dunbar, Dunbar's number is a suggested cognitive limit to the number of people that we can have a relationship with it, or we can maintain uh, stable social relationships with. So Dunbar, the researcher, suggested like our brains, and he's done a lot of research in, uh, in societies in which uh, people live in, in, in small villages and so on, and also with, with animal populations, and found that, look, there's a limit to how many people our brain can literally uh, connect with. And so his number is 150. He said, look, 150 is about the maximum in which you can really be connected with people. This is a, a, a quote from an article on Dunbar. Dunbar has argued that 150 would be the mean group size only for communities with a very high incentive to remain together, for a group of this size to remain cohesive. So in other words, this is kind of the maximum. 150 is kind of the maximum a group can really stay connected to. For a group of this size to remain cohesive, Dunbar speculated that as much as 42% of the group's time would have to be dedicated to social grooming. Now, how much time, free time do you have on your hands? Probably not much, okay? So Dunbar's saying if you want to maintain 150 really vibrant, 
healthy uh, relationships with other people. 150, you would need to spend 42% of your time just focused on building those social connections. So you can see, most of us don't have an extra 42% of time that we can work on, so our group is gonna be much smaller than that. Uh, correspondingly, only groups under intense survival pressure, such as uh, substance villages, nomadic tribes, and uh, military groupings have on average achieved the 150 meet, uh, mark. Moreover, Dunbar noted that such groups are almost always physically close. We might expect the upper limit on group size to depend on the degree of social dispersal. In dispersed societies, individuals will meet less often and will thus have, be less familiar, familiar with each other, and so group size should be smaller in consequence. Thus, the 150 member mark would occur only because of absolute necessity due to intense environmental and economic pressure. So Dunbar's saying, look, the 150 is about the maximum social connections you can really hold on to. And by the way, he says the, uh, the definition of this group, the Dunbar number group, is, is if you walked into a restaurant or you walked into a place and you ran into somebody that, and uh, out of, you weren't planning on meeting them, but you were comfortable enough to either sit down and have dinner with them or to have a drink with them or whatever, then that's going to be in your 150. So you have to think about how many people, would, if you walked in to dinner uh, at a restaurant and they were there, would you be comfortable sitting down with? Those are your, that's your Dunbar number. So he's saying 150 is maximum, but only in extreme cases does even 150 work. So for most people, it's going to be much, much, much uh, smaller. He goes on to then explain this, that there are th thus uh, smaller groups. First of all, a human can identify only about 1,500 faces. You're only going to remember about 1,500 faces. And so then you'll have 500 acquaintances. Now, there's some debate on this exact number, and obviously there's, there's some give and take on what your actual number is. But rough 1,500 faces you'll remember, 500 acquaintances. You'll have 150 casual friends. That's his famous number. You might have 50, a maximum of 50 close friends. You have 15 people in your sympathy group who are close enough that you would confide in them. And then you have around five people who are in your closest support group. Is this making sense? You getting this? All right, so, so we don't understand our social limitations and this has a, an effect on us being a healthy community or us existing in a, in a community. We don't understand some of these kind of innate uh, these innate limitations. Now, you think about this in the context of, uh, of a church community, right? So Avent Hope has about 320 to 330 members. These are people who have said, Avent Hope is my church home. Then we have a much larger group of, of people who, Avent Hope is their church home, but they haven't transferred their membership from, you know, Idaho or Poughkeepsie or wherever, but Avent Hope is, is, is their home. And then we have a much larger group who are all part of the Avent Hope family who are regularly come here but, you know, have not made any of those other commitments. But well, let's just say the 330, 330 people who said Avent Hope is, I'm a member at Church of the Avent Hope. Now, in the context of Dunbar, this is just not going to work. So if you come into Avent Hope, and by the way, on top of Avent Hope, we're in New York, so New York is very transient, so people are here you know, on every, every given week. By the way, did you know that across the United States, the, 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 uh, a person who says, I attend church, actually usually only attends church about one point, I think it's eight times a month. 
So these are people who consider themselves church-going uh, people. The average is you actually only go to your w- place of worship and worship 1.8 times a month. And this would, this would describe actually Avent Hope pretty well. I mean, you're a very transient group. You know, one, I, I'm on Instagram. One day you're here, and on Sunday you're in Dubai. And I'm like, oh, wow. You know, I just shook hands with her on, on, on Sabbath, and they're in Dubai the next day. You, you, you travel. And so it's, it's amazing. You have jobs. You're here. And so many of you may be here once a month, but you're an Avent Hoper. You might be here twice a month. You might be here less. You're an Avent Hoper. So all of this in the context of Dunbar's number, Dunbar's number is to 150. We've just got too many people here that any of us are going to keep connection on anybody in a really holistic way. I mean, I wish that wasn't the case, but this is the reality. You, you get where I'm going, right? So we have to think, we have to think smaller if we're going to really function in, in community, if we're going to be a healthy community. If you come here once a week and sit for an hour and a half on, on a Saturday morning or once a month and you're feeling like you're not connected, that it's understandable. Now, so I'm not going to tell you be here more often, but somehow if we want to be a church community, we've got to figure out a way to get connected. And so Paul's like, we've got to be together to encourage each other. And by the way, I would also suggest that this gathering, I love this gathering, we have a gathering like this at 9 a.m. too. This gathering is not the best place to build community. I mean, we sing together. You sit here and you listen to somebody talk for half an hour. You, you might meet somebody if, you know, we have our greeting time at the, at the beginning. But it's kind of hard to get connected. By the way, if you're new here today, I hope you feel welcome. I hope somebody connects with you. But this is not the best venue for connecting and building community. That's why, by the way, we have a meal downstairs. That's why, by the way, we are very anxious to renovate our kitchen downstairs so that we can have more regular meals. By the way, did you notice in Acts chapter 2, remember the four elements of the church? Paul was in in Hebrews saying, boy, if we could only get back and meet more often like the church. Well, the early church, they had four things that they did. They prayed together. It says they were devoted to prayer they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, which is like studying the Bible. They were, invo- they were devoted to eating together, and they were devoted to doing life together. These are the four a- attributes found in Acts chapter 2. So eating together, this is where I'm going, eating together is incredibly important because it's when you eat together where you build community. This venue is not great for building community. Are we together? Okay, anyway, this Dunbar number is a challenge. We're too big. It's going to be hard to get connected, especially if this is the only interaction that you have with a church community. And so we got to find a way to be a healthy community. And understanding the limitations of our social interactions will help, hopefully help us to, to start doing this. Okay, time is... Oh, i got to move along. Okay, number three. How do we build healthy community? Or what is inhibiting us from building a healthy community? We don't know how to balance uh, between the individual and the communal. You know, we need time alone, and we need time together. And it can be really difficult to balance the two. Certainly, in our contemporary society, our our technology is uh, somewhat ironically advertises helping us to build community, but also often is not doing that. In fact, it's contributing to us being more insular and more focused on ourselves. In fact, you know, I mean, you've all been in meetings or rooms where everybody's sitting around together looking at a device and not engaging with each other at all. Um, so we have this, this challenge. We, we're not good at balancing the individual and the communal. 
And so in, in many ways, we become even more individual. We, we can sit in a room. This happens oftentimes in my, uh, in my house where there's five of us, and we're all watching or doing five different things on five different uh, devices. And so we're being very individualistic, even though we are uh, together. And so this balance of individual and communal is really, really challenging. I should mention just here, too, the, the introversion, extroversion uh, issue. You know, all of us have unique personalities. Those who are on our leadership team all took the Myers-Briggs uh, uh, evaluation. If you, maybe you remember this when you went to work or you went to school, you had to take Myers-Briggs. You remember Myers-Briggs? You get this scoring. Anyway, one of the elements is introversion or extroversion. I always end up like right on the middle. One year, I just took it again for the retreat. One year, I end up extroverted. One year, introverted. The idea behind both of these is that it's where you get your energy. The extrovert gets their energy from being with people. The introvert gets their energy from spending time alone. You can be very outgoing and be introverted. In fact, you can oftentimes introverts will surprise you. They end up introverted and they'll say, "Oh, I, I didn't. I, you know, you're up front all the time. You talk all the time. Introvert. That's not how it works. It's where you get your energy, right? So, introvert spending quiet time." can be very social, can love parties, the whole thing, but they're going to get their energy from spending time alone. The extrovert gets their energy from being parties. I get a chance to, to, to work with a lot of couples here. It's not uncommon to have one, one person in the, in the relationship who's extroverted and one who's introverted, one who loves to go to parties and they're going to get the introversion there and one who loves to Netflix it out and that's where the, the recharge is going to be. So. Sometimes the church is not really good at acknowledging this difference. And in fact, as one of our uh, surveys said, hey, the church doesn't really help those who are introverted. Everything seems like it's, it's extroverted. I would agree. That's, that's a reality we've got to wrestle with. Anyway, balancing the individual and the communal. So these are, these are the challenges that we have to building uh, community. The temptation of the inner ring, always looking for the, another group to be involved in. We are not, we don't recognize the uh, limitations of our social interactions, and we don't know how to balance the individual and the communal. And so how are we going to build a community with all of these limitations? Well, the good news is that there is one who has achieved what we have not. We find that uh, Jesus revealed the foolishness of always seeking another inner ring to be in. Uh, James and John, mom, James and John's mom once came to Jesus. They're walking, and she comes to Jesus, and she says, "Hey, can my sons be in your inner ring?" You remember this? And Jesus, uh, Jesus said to him, "You don't." She said to her, "You don't know what you're asking. You don't know what you're asking." She's in her mind thinking, "Boy, if they can just get in this additional uh, inner ring." Then, then for, for, for all time, then they're going to be really satisfied. And Jesus says, this is foolish. First of all, you don't know what it's like to be in this, this ring. It's going to require sacrifice and pain and a suffering. And by the way, when the other disciples, the other ten heard this, that James and John had their mother ask Jesus to be in the inner ring, it didn't go over well. In fact, it interfered with the larger community. And so Jesus reveals the foolishness of always seeking another inner ring to be in. Jesus also used the principles of human uh, interaction in building his own community. You know, we're told in Matthew chapter 17 that Jesus took three, James, Peter, and John up with him. Special. And they, they seem to have a special relationship. 
Jesus had a tight core of three when he was transfigured. James, Peter, and John were there. But then, of course, he had a larger group of 12 disciples. And then that group in Acts, in Acts chapter 1 and 2, uh, we're told that there were 120 believers meeting together to pray. So Jesus is using Dunbar's numbers. So Dunbar was, uh, was identifying a principle that had been around long before he had, that Jesus himself even used. He had the, the three, the close, he had the 12, and then he had the larger group of 120. Since so Jesus used the principles of human interaction in building his own community. And then finally, Jesus balanced his individual needs and his communal needs. So Jesus has done what we have been incapable of doing. We're told that Jesus often got up early in the morning and spent time alone praying together. So he's taking care of his own individual uh, spiritual health. We're told that right after his baptism, he was taken out into the wilderness and spent 40 days alone, alone, coming to terms with who he was and, and with Father, the Father God. And uh, then there's this great story of like Jesus being with this large group of people and needing to get away. And basically he went off on his own in a boat and everybody looked around and was like, where's Jesus? And he was, he was gone. Jesus knew how to spend time taking care of him, himself and his own relationship with God. But then, of course, Jesus was also incredibly communal. He basically lived with these 12 guys for three and a half years, and he had people around him all of the time. So he had the balance between the individual and the communal. And the hope for us is, as we think about living in community and being in community as people, is that what God has done through Jesus can give us power to also live in healthy a community. Jesus told his followers, listen, when I am lifted up, in other words, when I am uh, crucified, I will draw all people to me. See, Jesus' desire is that because of his work, because of his sacrifice, because of what he's done, we can live in healthy community, not because we just follow what Jesus did, but because what Jesus did by sacrificing himself gives us power that is outside of ourselves. And this is where true community comes. As we embrace uh, God's work on our behalf, as we embrace the work of Jesus, we can be empowered as individuals and as a community to live in healthy community with each other and with God. As Jesus is lifted up, we can live in healthy community. As we embrace his work, we have hope that we can actually become what God is calling us uh, to be. And so we want to be a community here at Avon Hope that is built on faith in Jesus and bound uh, together in love for him and love for each other. And as we express this faith, the Spirit is going to work in us and help us to become what we're not going to come, become on our own. Our friendships can grow with each other. We can develop friendships. That's what we want. We want Avon Hope to be a community where you can develop a friendship, where you can go to lunch, you can go to dinner, you can come to a, a class, you can join a community group, and you will become friends with each other. You're not also always looking, boy, I, I like this group, but I wish I was in that group. No, that you can develop friends with the groups that, that you're, you're in. You can build friends with the people that you sit around with the table uh, to, to eat dinner today. That's what we hope. We hope that our worship gatherings will be a reflection of the community. Just one side note, and I, I know we're running so, so very behind, but you know, sometimes we judge a, a community on, on things like worship services 
and music and sermons. What if I, you know, thank you for thinking so highly of me, but sometimes you, you, you come to me and say, you know, I missed the whole service, but I was here for the most important thing, the sermon. And uh, you, I know you're trying to make me feel good. You're like, oh, man, you know, that's Todd in that sermon. That's the reason I, we're here. You know, I, thank you. That's very gracious of you. But, but the theology behind that is not great. Right? The, the, the implications of the church is that the reason we come together, according to Paul, is to encourage each other, to spur each other on. And, you know, I would hope that the sermon does that. I hope the, the uh, beautiful music does that, that we sing together and the other elements. But what we're really called to do is come together and be together and love each other. Jesus himself said, you will know each other and you will know my followers, not by how awesome their worship service is, not how great a sermon is, but by the, whether they love each other. That's the determining factor of a healthy church. Do the people who are in the church community love each other? That's it. According to Jesus, that is what makes a church real and whole and good. Do the people within the church community love each other? Quite frankly, the sermons can stink. You know, I, 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 sometimes I will go to visit churches... I, and I get a little judgy, I apologize. I get a judgy, and I go to a church, and I'm like, that music was terrible. Have you ever visited a church? Hopefully, you're not feeling that way today. You go to the church, and you're like, that sermon, that guy needed to, or that woman needed to spend a little more time working on that sermon, or, boy, the music was, was terrible. You know, but they're a church, and, and ultimately, the sermon or the worship experience or whatever is, is not the ultimate reflection of who they are. I've been to churches where the worship service was terrible, but the people loved each other. And that is what makes the difference. That's what makes a healthy community. And that's the kind of place that we want to be here at Avon Hope. I mean, we want to have great music. Let's pray for the sermons that they're good. We want all that to be good too. But if you and I and each other love each other, even if we're not really connected with each other, but we have love for each other, I mean, hope we get connected too. That is what makes a healthy church. God is calling us to be a community. Don't give up meeting together. There's something important about coming together in the flesh. God is inviting us to be a community of faith that loves and cares for each other. May he do that work in us. We're not there but we want to be there. May he make Avon Hope a place that loves each other. Amen.